Welcome. You have found Out of the Ordinary, the show that helps you grow a daily life that matters. I'm Lisa Jo Baker. And I'm Christy Purifoy. Lisa Jo, this new podcast series we're about to start, well, it was your idea, and I am so grateful. It's exactly what I need in my life right now. Also, I had no idea how much life was like rock climbing. (laughs) And how finally saying out loud some of my thoughts about self-help and hope has been a big relief for my soul. It might get a bit spicy, friends, so get comfy. Here we go. Well, this is a conversation that, honestly, I feel like I've been picking at in my mind for about three years now, maybe longer than that. It's one of those things where I think, can I say that out loud? I'm not sure if I can. And now I'm sure that I can. So I'm going to. (laughs) (laughs) I have for years been irked somewhat when I hear it said, and it's been said by many people in sort of the self-help field online, actually in doing some research for this episode, the military, the U.S. military actually used this expression as well. So it's sort of spans from self-help to, you know, institutional defense systems, (laughs) (laughs) this expression that hope is not a strategy. And I'm sure you've heard it, right, Christy, floating around out there? Mm -hmm. I have, I have. And uh, uh, I think... On some level, it makes sense, I guess. Like they're saying, if hope is just wishful thinking or blind optimism, I, I guess it's not a strategy. But but to, but they just say hope is not a strategy. They don't say wishful thinking is not a strategy. They you're right. They say hope is not a strategy. Hmm. And I, I think by implication, they are implying that hope is like wishful thinking. Hope is somehow amorphous. Hope is like daydreaming or, you know, wishing or imagining how things might be, which is why there have been, you know, thousands of journals and books and podcasts that sell this idea that what you really need to do is, you know, write down your goals and be very strategic and plot the steps between where you are and where you hope to be. You know, self-help gurus and the U.S. military both say that is the better strategy. (laughs) And so, I mean, (laughs) on a surface level, of course, I, I get that, right? I really do. And actually, over the years, have tried to imagine what are the steps I should be taking to realize hopes that I've had in my life. But I think most of our listeners have had a similar experience. Over the last three years, we have all lived out that reality about where it's a Bible verse, actually, that says it best. It's, of course, from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 16, verse 9 says, In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. And I think some translations talk about how the Lord laughs when we make plans. Um, <laughs> but I mean, the last three years have have felt that way. We've all had many, many plans that have been completely derailed. And today, that's why I wanted to talk about how hope has to be a strategy, because at the end of the day, it has felt like the only thing left sometimes that you are still holding onto or standing upon. So it can't just be wishful thinking. It has to be more than that. And that is what we want to unpack today. Maybe hope isn't a strategy. Maybe hope is the only strategy that's actually worth paying attention to. Oh, I think that's good. Maybe another 
phrase we'll throw into the mix that I know I have heard is, um, have you heard that phrase, magical thinking? Oh, Um, So it has a particular meaning. It's not exactly what we're talking about, but I think it's related. Like, so we might say, um, for instance, um, let's say um, a a married couple with children uh, get divorced or they're having relationship troubles and their young child gets it in their head that if I am a perfectly behaved child, I can change things Mm. for my parents. I can repair their marriage by always eating my vegetables and not causing any trouble. Like that's a form of magical thinking that says like somehow my thoughts or my actions that we know in reality aren't really connected (laughs) to this this event or this thing that's unfolding, but somehow we feel like it gives us a sense of control or agency um, that that actually isn't ours. So it's it's not exactly the same thing as wishful thinking, but I think it's, re- it's right. related. Magical thinking. And surely yeah. the grown-up version of this, ooh, here comes a controversial take. The grown-up version of this that I see floating around is this concept of manifesting. Right. right. Because essentially it's the same thing. I just write down and I envision and I behave in certain ways. And then the universe will give right. me X, Y, Z thing that I am putting out there, yeah. which really is just a grown up version of magical thinking. Exactly. And while I think it could, it sounds very crafty and fun, actually, to create like a vision board where you sort of, it's like goal setting, but in a visual way, which as a visual person, I think that's awesome. That sounds like a lot of fun. But yeah, when you take it to that next level that says, I will put this board next to my computer and I will spend 15 minutes a day imprinting those images in my head until these good things come to me. Yeah, right. now we've stepped into the, the to the realm of like magical thinking, wishful thinking. Manifesting. And uh, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, but it occurs to me like there's another element to this as well. So I'm realizing that as a, as a Christian, when I talk about hope, there's something implicit in there that is probably best to make explicit. So when I talk about hope, always implicit in that concept for me is hope in a reality, hope in a truth, which is hope in a person. And so when I talk about hope as we're, we're going to do in this conversation about what it looks like to, um, to, be- to believe that hope is a strategy and then to live that out in my life, implicit in that is that um, I am not hoping in myself. Right. <laughs> I am not hoping in the vague universe. I am hoping in Christ. I'm hoping in the truth. I am hoping in this person. And then we could keep going. Implicit in that is who is this person? Is this person trustworthy? Is it what is their character? Like why why would I have this hope? So like that that then furthers the conversation. But I'm realizing, oh my goodness. So in this little catchphrase that is so catchy, it could be a commercial for joining the Marines or something. Um, actually, all these other elements really are baked into it. And it, I think, is a good idea to like tease those out and unpack them a little bit uh, because they're in there for sure. And I liked how you said hope is its implicit baked in definition, hope in something or someone, in our case, outside of myself. Because outside of myself, magical right. thinking and manifesting is actually believing that there's something inherently in me that can make something come about. And I think that is actually a, 
devastating <laughs> belief system because <laughs> if it doesn't come about, there's just that sense that I internally, like I, something about me is unworthy. I have failed. And I think it's why self-help can be so empty because if I can't manifest something to happen, if I can write it down a million times and it still doesn't happen, there's a sense of failure that is m my fault. And when we remove from ourselves and we say hope in someone else and not just someone in, in, in some way, um, something much more powerful than myself outside of my comprehending and my imagination who isn't on par with me, who isn't limited by time or history or sin or any of the things that limit me. There is such relief in knowing I am not responsible then for making XYZ thing happen in my life. It's liberating in that way. So I think it's really important to remove ourselves from the equation. And when we talk about hope, we're not talking about a hope in me. I, I always tell my children, there are only two stories in the universe. Everybody believes one of the two stories. In one story, you yourself are the king of your world. You are the king. You are the God. You are the center. That is the one story. And in the second story, we believe there is a God, there is a Christ who is the center. You are not the center, and we worship the Christ. There, are, That's it. Those are the two stories. <laughs> like, pick one. And you can <laughs> apply those to anything you see in the world. And so I think when we have somebody talking about how hope is not a strategy, it might be because there is an implicit weight they're carrying. Like, in order to realize what I'm hoping for, I, the center, have to do these steps to get there. Mm -hmm. But if I, go ahead. Oh, I was, as you were talking, I was thinking like, oh my goodness, yes. So we in our, I think, Western contemporary culture um, that has maybe in some good ways flipped, let's say, fairy tales on their head where we love our stories where our princess doesn't need rescuing by a prince, but she goes out and she solves problems herself. And, right. you know, I, I love those stories too. That's fabulous. Sure. Those are great stories for for young women, for our daughters. But there is a sense that because we don't believe in a rescuer mm. <laughs> and and also because so, – so if we don't believe in a rescuer, then could there be anything more sad and foolish than a person who believes – that hope is a strategy because I just need to be rescued. I just, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to sit here and, and wait to be rescued. And from a very worldly kind of typical cultural perspective, that just seems really sad. And, and like, look at, look at, look at you. Hope is your strategy. It, that is so pathetic because you need to just get up and get going and, you know, make it happen. And I, there are elements of that story that, wow, I, yes, I resonate with that. I too would look at that person and say, oh, bless your heart. Hope is not a strategy. <laughs> and yet we are people who believe in rescue fundamentally. And oh, we tell a good. story where our rescue is like, better than any fairy tale. It's like the best story. And we we um, we boast in it. It is our boast. My boast is that I have been rescued, right? That's like Paul's language right there, I think. From I mean, it's even more like, extreme than that. His boast is that he needs to be rescued. Like, yes, I think that's yes. so powerful, right? Nobody wants to be in that position. Like we, that's such a, a claim of weakness and vulnerability and awkwardness. And it and to quote my teenagers, it's cringe, you know, that's so <laughs> cringe that, oh, I 
have to be rescued. Like, that's my claim. And of course, before this conversation, I googled C.S. Lewis on Hope. And there is, he talks about this in such a perfect segue. This is a quote from Mere Christianity, um, which is Lewis's treatise on the Christian faith and an argument for why um really the the philosophy the philosophy (laughs) falafel oh now i'm hungry i would like one (laughs) of christianity holds he says hope is one of the theological virtues this means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world so he's actually saying like you hope is pointing us forward to a person to a reality outside of ourselves so is a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not as some modern people think hope is not a form of escapism or wishful thinking but one of the things a christian is meant to do it does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is and i like how he says this and hope is not escapism hope is not wishful thinking hope is a virtue and a discipline so when he says something a christian is meant to do it's a discipline right it's something that we practice and so i'm with paul saying i need to be rescued i can't rescue yeah. myself and anybody who's lived through the last 3 years understands that in a way that maybe we wouldn't all have agreed upon two years earlier. But constantly now, that is seems to be our narrative, like help, help, help. I don't know what to do with this. So on a global perspective, there's this desperate need for rescue and hope. But any of us who've walked through just personal struggles, so for our family the last six months, Hope is the only strategy when you're facing things like cancer, for example, because you can goal plan as much as you want, but you <laughs> cannot rescue yourself from that. You you just right. cannot. You don't have control. Yeah. You cannot manifest yourself to be cancer free. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's there you go. That 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 just sums it up. That's so good. I found this well, Lisa Joe. So I love that quote from C.S. Lewis, but I um, did some some quick reading before we jumped into this conversation as well, because I got really curious, like, oh, what is, so we use the English word hope, um, but, but what is that word in Hebrew? What is that word in Greek? Because so many of these scriptures were referencing, those were the languages they were written in. So I, this is just dear listener, I, I bet there's some listeners who are actual Hebrew scholars, <laughs> yeah. who, you know, and so feel free to to write in or tag me and tell me more about this. That is fine. I'm just offering a very limited <laughs> tidbit here <laughs> that just struck me uh, when I quickly came across it. But there is part of um, the word for hope in Hebrew, which I, I don't know how to pronounce it, but to me, it looks like tikva. T-I-K-V-A-H. So that's the word I was looking at. Um, that word in some instances can also mean cord or rope. So I understand that, you know, synonyms are a thing. We can't equate everything in language. Language is incredibly complex. But when my eyes caught that, I immediately resonated because I feel like that is how hope has operated in my life. That is how I want it to operate, you know, as I think about going forward. It feels to me like I am the child and the co- it, this is the cord or rope that ties me to my maker, that ties me to my God. And when I am flailing <laughs> in hopelessness, I feel dis- I, I, it's, I, because I feel that disconnect. I am not, I'm not in right relationship. I'm not connected. I'm not 
tied to my maker. Like if we're, if, 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 if God has one end of a rope and we have the other, like we can walk along the cliff edge. We can walk in the shadow of, of death. Like we can go um, into some really hard, scary places and know that we're, that we're held, that we're safe, that we're secure. But I'd love to think more. What does it mean that hope is that line? Hope is that thing that keeps me tethered to my okay. maker. Do you want me to blow your mind a little further on the word tikva? Okay. So here's oh, yes, so yes. interesting. So in the story in the Old Testament, when the Israelites have been rescued out of Egypt and they're trying to come into the promised land and the spies go into the land to check it out and they get trapped inside the city walls. And you remember, of course, the story of Rahab, who was a prostitute at the time and she hid them and she then had a rope that she lowered them out of the window, this red scarlet cord. And then the promise that was made to her is if you keep that cord hanging out of your window, then we will make sure that when we attack your city, you and your family, everybody in that room, where that rope is, will be safe. The Hebrew word used in that passage is tikva. That is the <gasps> rope that I have like actual goosebumps. Like I that is the story of, of Rahab. And it's a really powerful because of course Rahab is mentioned in the lineage of Christ. And there it is, the cord that is holding her and us and David all connected through this literal scarlet DNA thread together. And that is the Hebrew word for tikva, hope. So that, I love how Hebrew wow. is operating in two different planes there. Like they're describing this rope that is also a hope that these spies climbed down and that Rahab hung, she hung hope in her window. Wow. And that is how and why she was rescued. Yes. It was like her acknowledgement yes. <laughs> that she needed rescue and it was the means of rescue and it was the means of connection. I, I had no idea, Lisa Joe. That's really gorgeous. So, to, okay. Uh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so, what, what does it look like then to, to be, to live like Rahab and to, to hold out that cord? I mean, I think for me, it often means really trying to be clear in my head about who I think is on the other end of that rope. And I'll be honest, I think this, this is a journey. Like you can know the right answers to that question. And I, and I know like as a child uh, raised in churches and in a Christian family, I was taught the right answers to that question. Uh, God is your maker, your creator, your father. He loves you. I sang as a child, Jesus loves me, right? This I know because the B-I-B-L-E tells me so, or, you know, I sang the whole song. <laughs> yes. And so I knew the right answer to that question. If you gave me a test, I would have aced it. And yet, actually, it required time and experience and life in order to live my way toward those answers and to being confident in those answers. So while I knew in an academic sense, God is love, God loves me, I I had to live it. I, I didn't I had to come to a place where I had experienced it, where I had encountered it. And frankly, that often happens when we're feeling pretty hopeless. Naturally, uh -huh. I'm going to segue now into a TV illustration. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> but I um, I really love the, 
he's he's not a character, he's a real person, Bear Grylls, who is the British survivalist who I'm sure your kids and mine love all of his shows. He has these wilderness survival shows. And uh, he's famous for his rope, right? He's always got like this special rope he carries with. He always talks about it, like the different kinds of rope, parachute cord, then the rope you use to like go over the edges of mountains. And I guess I was thinking about that as we were talking. Like it's one thing, often you'll see he does this these series where he invites celebrities to go out with him into the wilderness. And sometimes when they're waiting for him to arrive, he will have given them some item. They'll be like, Bear said I should bring this pickaxe or Bear left and often it's like this rope like here they have this rope it's in their backpack but it, it's meaningless to them right it's just some additional weight that they have to carry essentially until that rope has to be used to lower them down somewhere or they have to put their whole weight on it and trust their life to it as they're climbing across a crevasse or down a canyon then that rope has real meaning to it because it has to hold their weight. And I guess in my life, the last few years, and I'm sure for friends listening, and I know in your life, Christy, hope for the first time has been something that I actually have to use. I don't just carry it in my backpack. Like I had to take it out and I had to trust like, will this rope hold me? Will this rope be strong enough? Will this rope support me through something scary that I'm trying to scale? It seems to me, as with all things in the Christian faith, it's an embodied faith. It's something that isn't just metaphor on a page. It's real, it's real people who really risked their lives to hope. I think about Rahab and I think about the spies who climbed down that rope and their lives were spared. In the same way, we are literally, I mean, there's that English expression, right? I've come to the end of my rope. Like we're holding on to hope for all we're worth. And I think often of like my fingernails, you know, tearing and slipping and my hands sweaty as I'm trying to hold on to this rope. But I think from the picture you've described of our hope being in somebody that he he is actually holding on to us. So often I think that I'm really short-sighted, like as a human, what I can see or perceive of what comes next. Right, and so right. when we make our our lists and our planning and our goals as admirable as they may be, it feels sometimes maybe like a little kindergartner drawing for their dad, you know, in crayons like the building that they want to live in one day. <laughs> but the dad, yeah. who's an architect and has actual blueprints, he is the one who will build that building because he has the the real plans. And you can color on his blueprints with your crayons, but it's his blueprints that will actually make the building stand up one day. And for me, hope feels a little bit like maybe spectacles you put on that make you not quite as nearsighted anymore and you see a little bit further and you realize that it isn't about what I can manifest or plan or strategize. It really is about me just holding on really tightly to this rope and realizing, oh, it's actually the rope holding me. It's the person holding me. It's Christ holding me. Like he is the rock on the other end of the rope that I'm anchored to. It's about what he does, not about what I do. It's not about if I let go or not, because he won't. And mm. my dad tells the story about um, growing up in South Africa. He and his best friend, Alex Wood, would often go camping. They'd climb into high mountains. And he said they had climbed up really high one, na- one night um, up into the 
the rocky crags in the top of the mountains in South Africa. And there was this big ledge, like this plateau they were going to sleep, sleep on. But my dad said they were so nervous that they might in their sleep, like roll or toss and turn. <laughs> he said, he looked over and Alex had got their rope and tied it to a big rock and then tied it around his waist because he just was like, I am not going to risk rolling over in my sleep. You know, and I think that is how life can feel for us. Like I'm, I'm worried all the time that without even realizing it, I'm going to roll off the side of a cliff. And, and hope is what tells me whether I remember to, to tie the knot or not. Like Christ is, he is in fact holding me like already. He's the rock and he's the, and he's the rope. Like he's both of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just know how much like my personality. And I think for a lot of people, like I don't, I don't want to live a life up in high places where I can see down to caverns far below. Like I don't <laughs> right. want, you know, like I, I want to, to get my sense of security and safety and um, a sense of being okay uh, from what I can see around me. So I want to fall asleep on ground level <laughs> on a soft mattress, right? Like that, that's what I want, but that just isn't, that just isn't life. It, it just isn't. And I bet in that really high place, like I bet the views were incredible. I bet sunrise was amazing. Like there are benefits. There are real rewards to being willing to, you know, put your trust in Christ as Lord and tie on that rope and follow. I know there are benefits, but I also know like it isn't natural for me. It isn't, you know, that's Again, more Bible language. That's our flesh saying, "No, no, <laughs> let's let's stay right here with our feet on, you know, our feet on the ground." Um, and yet, it's it's absolutely worth doing. It is interesting that in that famous passage in the book of Corinthians, one Corinthians thirteen, where it's the love passage that we're all familiar with, but when it talks about the greatest, the three that remain. It says faith, hope, and love. Like, it's interesting that hope is in there, in that mix, you know? And wow, Especially yeah. when often we we tend to minimize it or think of it as wishful thinking, but in those virtues, in Scripture itself, it's regarded as one of the three greatest ones that remain, like those. And the idea of remaining implies, like, this eternal longevity, that it is something it isn't like when I think about wishful thinking, I think about a dandelion that you can just blow away. But when I think about the word remain, I think of like stalactites and stalagmites, you know, the dolerite capped mountains in the Karoo. I think about rocks that have been there since the foundation of the earth. And scripture is actually describing hope that way, which is really powerful um, and surprising too, because it's not easy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I have a genuine question for you, Lisa Joe, or just for us to process together. So as we're talking about this and and I think always in our conversation we're we're very gentle. <laughs> I think we're gentle with each other. We try to be gentle with our listeners, but I'm gonna I'm gonna share like there is there are times when I I see people who are not practicing hope and I do not feel gentle. I feel really frustrated and really angry, almost as if 
my God has been defamed. So here's oh, here's the example. I um, I'm raising teenagers. Yeah, you're raising teenagers. Yeah, which means, uh, uh, as I think a lot of people listening will understand, that means I I am engaged almost daily in some really intense conversations and living out of Christian faith. Um, maybe it looks different for other parents. I. I, I it, you know, I think it pre- maybe was a little different for my parents. I don't feel like I was a teenager who questioned a lot or really wrestled with my faith. I think that came later for me in my 20s. But um, but I have teenagers who, um, you know, I'll, I'll just give them this. They're really good at wrestling. They're really good at asking hard questions. And I have teenagers who are very empathetic. So when we talk about, let's say, what's happening in Ukraine or we talk about other hard things in the news, um, my some of my children can very quickly go to a posture that to me seems utterly without hope um despairing angry like what is the point you know so we were having conversations recently about you know what does it mean when when lives are young lives are lost that is so tragic and you know what i was hearing was just what i interpreted to be just like what is the point? Life is meaningless. Da, da. And I, I feel like in those moments, my, my response as a mother, or if it's a you know, friend who's saying these things, I just want to be present with them and what they're feeling. I want to acknowledge those feelings. I feel like that would be the right response. And yet what I actually find myself doing is getting really angry <laughs> and saying things like, I'm sorry, like, who do you know, almost like, uh, you know, in Job, how God like answers Job. (laughs) I start talking like that to my own children, like, I'm sorry, did you make the heavens? Did you, you know, like, (laughs) do you, do you hold the storehouses of the hail and the snow? And they're, you know, okay, not exactly, but sort of, right? Right. Like that, I, I get all fiery and I find that I don't listen and I, I get upset at them, and but I realize it's because something about their posture of hopelessness really gets under my skin, and and I don't really know what to make of that, or or how to how or whether to rein that in, or to what extent I'm justified, or why. But that just seems to be a parental trigger for me. Let's mm. call it that. Um, that I'm, I, I lose all sense of like patience and, and just <laughs> <laughs> let it fly. <laughs> I know it's like they are like uh, Solomon, you know, like meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Yes, <laughs> yes. and I, I, I'm just like, no, stop. <laughs> I, I had an interesting conversation with my my teenager about similar. He, he's a slow internal processor. So it takes him a while to find language for what he's processing. And usually we have our deepest conversations in the car. And just out of the blue the other day, he just said to me, you know, I don't get it. Christians are always saying things like, you know, no matter what happens, God's going to work it out for your good. And it's going to be a good ending. And, and he just was like, that is not my experience is what he said. And I I actually felt to a degree comforted by that because I could just say, yes, not mine either recently. <laughs> not <laughs> yeah. even a little bit. And and I think maybe we're trying to find a middle ground between mm-hmm. hopelessness, but also an honest rejection of the lie of something like manifestation. Like we can just make it good. And I will go so far as to say, 
a lot of how that verse is taught about how God using working all things together for our good is a form of Christian manifestation is how it is taught. Like, if you just believe enough, God will bring good things to you. That verse is a verse that is not about us. It is not about how we define things as good. That verse is about how God defines them. Like, if you read the language, it is saying, for the good of those who trust Him, He is defining what good looks like. And if we are not careful as Christians, all we're going to do is preach a Christianese form of manifestation that is a terrible lie to sell our children. And when I was talking to Peter about this conversation and I brought my son to Pete because I was more like your child, I just said to my kid, I know it's bad. Everything is bad and I don't know. (laughs) And apparently God does love us, but I'm going to need dad to deconstruct this for you. (laughs) Because I got nothing, man. I got nothing today. (laughs) Peter said such an interesting thing. He said, the thing with God as we get to know him is that what God is really interested is, is our wholeness. Not we, we as humans get caught up in goodness, like what we want. But wholeness is much more about the development of our, of our, our whole being, like to state the obvious. The word shalom actually is, is a word referencing a, a form of spiritual and physical and emotional and communal wholeness is what God wants for us. He wants us to be fully formed and whole. And so he was able to say to our son, the thing about thing about your relationship with God is that is an ongoing journey and experience. So when you might think my understanding of that verse for my goodness is like now, like right now, whether it's do with the sport or this friend or whatever, that needs to be good now. But God's understanding might be actually, no, what he's interested in is forming you fully as a human, which means all of these experiences become part of his shaping you. Like to take it down to the basic level that the Bible gives us, the potter, potter, meet clay, clay, meet meet potter. You know, like (laughs) he is, he's forming you and that can be uncomfortable. And in that process, hope is important because then our hope is not just in the clay, it's in the potter. And so Pete said to me when I was sort of in my meaningless, meaningless phase, he said, I said, I remember telling him, just give me something, like tell me some words about faith again, like remind me. And he said to me, he said, Joe, faith is not like a magic word. It's not like abracadabra. It doesn't like make everything better. He said the thing about faith, and I think it applies to hope too, is that faith is about being faithful. It's about being hopeful. It's practicing those things. It's being faithful in your life, in your parenting, in your marriage, in your choices, in your friendships. Like it, it, it requires you to be faithful. Hope is the same. It actually requires an act of hopefulness, of hoping in something outside of yourself, in against all tangible evidence, choosing to believe there is a potter that is shaping you into something meaningful, that meaning is coming out of this. And I think for me, there's a real relationship between hope and meaning because I can go through just about anything as long as it ultimately has meaning. If it's just meaningless, then it's just torture. It's because torture is just suffering for suffering's sake, right? But when there's meaning, then you're suffering for the sake of wisdom or knowledge 
or um, transformation or formation, all of those things have meaning in them. So for me, hope is deeply attached to meaning, which is attached to this person outside of me. <laughs> like, uh, when I get stuck in myself, it's a dead end. But if I can find myself back to Christ, there's everything, meaning, hope, love, goodness. Yeah. And I, I love how you've described actually your own act of hopefulness wasn't to manufacture that feeling within yourself, but it was to go to someone else, to go yes. to your husband and say, help me. I need a word <laughs> to help me feel that again. And I feel like, oh my goodness, that's really precious. Um, so I had a, a good friend recently share about some super hard things um, in her life that had her feeling like utterly without hope. Um, but she shared about another friend who has offered in the past when she's feeling hopeless, to hold the hope for her. And that I, I just thought, oh, that is so beautiful. So that even if we find ourselves in a place that is so hard and so seemingly hopeless, that we, like, we cannot hold on to the rope, we can't tie it around our waist, like, no, we're in the fetal position crying. But to say, but there's a friend next to me, she's holding the rope. I will at least stay in approximate, you know, <laughs> presence with this friend who's holding the rope. I feel like that is, that's good enough. That's good enough. Like, I mean, that, that's more than enough for, for God's grace. Um, but to know, like, we really don't have to manufacture the feeling or even feel the feeling in order to be, I think, walking in that way that, that you describe of hopeful fullness. Um, maybe that will help me actually next time I, I talk to my children. Maybe I'll just say, I see how hopeless you are right now. Let me be hopeful for you. Let yeah. me, yeah, let me hold some hope for, for you next to you so that you can keep going. Maybe that's the, a better answer. And I think uh, this conversation is going to be in two parts. And today's episode, as you know, has been called Hope is a Strategy. And I think as we, as, we, as we bridge into next week's stories about hope, I think it's helpful to think of that as hope is a person, too. You know, and in our context, you know, that's how Christy opened. And these are some of the examples that we're here ending with. Um, and that we'd like to pick up that thread next week about unpacking what it means that hope is in fact a person. Um, and we have some stories we'd like to share with you along that regard. So if you've listened today and this is encouraging, it encourages us <laughs> for you to, yeah. to message us on Instagram. I'm at Lisa Jo Baker and Christy is at Christy Purifoy. Um, but another great thing that is hopeful to us is if you leave us a review because that actually helps other people find us through the weird algorithms we do not understand. But if you are wherever you listen to podcasts and you leave us a note, it, it matters to us if you subscribe to is another way for um, our little podcast to gain some traction. And we look forward to coming back next week and continuing this conversation about hope that is a strategy mm -hmm. and also mm -hmm. a person. Yeah. Oh, can't wait. Thank you, friend. <laughs>